Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. We're going to look at a parable today where Jesus says, it's my hope that you would represent me in the world. And in a sense, that's what we're talking about here is posturing ourselves in such a way that somebody gets uh, exposed to an unusual or uh, in a sense, an extraordinary grace and that they're able to connect the dots that it is unusual and it is extraordinary and they'd like to know more about the person who enabled a community to be that generous. So um, that's, that's part of Jesus' picture of what it looks like to be uh, still here on the earth and why, why we're still taking up space is so that we can share that space with other people that are taking up space. So let me pray to that end and then we'll uh, look at at God's word together and um, hopefully we'll hear from him. So Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you for the gifts that have been given over the years, for the connections that have been made and are still being made. And I wanna ask that this practice would be used of you to change lives. I wanna pray that today, the words of my mouth, the reflections of each one of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know where you've come in today. Some of you are probably excited. Others of you are saying, I need to be inspired. Uh, Some of you are tired from activity that you've done this week. I'm kind of tired from activity I've done this past week. It's called grandchildren. And uh, two of them uh, stayed at my house this week. One was a nine-year-old girl and her four-year-old son, or brother, sorry. Not, not, that's who she thought it was. Uh, so the entire week, that's, she was the surrogate mom. You know, finish your plate, you know, ask to go, do this, do that, do that. And he, at first, it was annoying to him. And you could just see that he's going, are you kidding me? You know, I thought I was getting away from mom. And, and he looks at me like, he's not going to tell me what to do. So he's kind of looking at his sister and going, can you get off my back? And then as she just kept going, do, do, do all week, he started realizing, wait a minute. I have the opportunity to drive her nuts. And so uh, she'd say, clean your plate. And he wouldn't. She'd say, use your silverware. And he'd go, with his fingers and rub it all over his face. You know, it was just kind of like a war between the two of them as to who was in control from then on. And it was just a weird thing because they could have just had a great time if they'd stayed in their lane, you know? As brother and sister at grandpa's house, they could have just had fun, but somehow uh, they were fighting for who was in charge and who can't tell me or who can tell me what to do, and it kind of got all kind of sideways. And this, uh, today we're gonna have Jesus tell us, or we're gonna look at this parable that Jesus told, and, and the parable is basically about uh, people that are from the kingdom of God and people that aren't from the kingdom of God and that we coexist in the world and that that everyone who seems to be in the kingdom of God says they shouldn't be here. And Jesus is saying, can you lighten up? That's not your assignment. You are not somehow supposed to be the who should be here police. Uh, your job is to just be the person who's supposed to be here that I'm counting on being here. So just be that. And the story kind of talks about wheat and weeds. And that the people who are following Jesus, he calls wheat. And the people who aren't following Jesus, he calls weeds. And, and it seems as though we all want to be the person who gets to have that job of identifying the weed and the wheat. And Jesus is saying, not your job. Your job is just to be wheat. 
And so let's just kind of look at this parable and see how Jesus describes that and where he kind of goes with his disciples. So he's got this crowd of people who are listening to him. And he says, uh, in verse 24 of Matthew 13, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. But, by what, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, do you, did you sow good wheat in your field? Good seed in your field, I'm sorry. And he said, yes. Well, then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. Because while you were pulling the weeds, uh, I, I'm sorry, uh, let me start all over, kid. The, owner, the owner's servants came to him and said, sir, do you want us to say, did you sow good wheat in your field? I can say this. I've read this more than once this week, really. Uh, so, uh, and... While everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and, the forms, and formed heads, the weeds appeared also, and the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, uh, did you sow good seed in your field? Where'd the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he said, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I'll tell the harvesters first to collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. Okay, that's the end of the parable. That's what he told the public group, okay? Now, in Matthew 13, it's interesting, he starts with a parable about four soils that maybe you're familiar with. And as he tells that uh, story uh, and he starts to explain it, and then he kind of bumps into another parable and the disciples say to Jesus, hey, why are you telling parables? You know that parable thing? It really is a terrible thing. Uh, They're not getting it. And so he goes, oh, okay. And so for the rest of the chapter, he tells eight parables. And so he doesn't take their advice necessarily. And uh, they go into the house and when they go into the house, they say, hey, tell us the meaning of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. So it's obvious they don't get it either. And what's interesting is he said, here's why I tell parables. I tell parables to teach people into a corner where they're stuck, and the only way they can get out is by faith. And they either stay in their corner faithless, or they fight their way out of the corner to faith. That's why I teach people into parables in the corner, so that they kind of feel jammed, and they have to respond by faith. They're going, oh, like they don't get it. They're in a corner right now. And so he gives them an explanation that pushes them into a corner. And the only way they can own the explanation is if they come out of it in faith. Because they still want to be the weed police. They still want to be the person who gets to say, you're not doing it right. You are opposing the kingdom of God. You should be punished. He wants to be that person. And so he's got to tell them an explanation that reveals that heart and says to them, you don't really long to be wheat either, do you? Like the people who had just heard it. And so as we kind of move into his explanation, uh, down in verse 36, it says, then he left the crowd and went into a house, and the disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he said, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. 
The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. And as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will uh, weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin, and, do all, and all who do evil. And they will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Jesus uses that phrase often to kind of say, I know you can understand this, so get beyond hearing and work on understanding this. To be in the house and have said that, he's saying to the disciples, okay, I want you to work on this. I don't want you to just hear this. I want you to work with this for a minute. And so then the funny thing is he kind of gives them a key, almost like uh, somebody who goes to a baseball game, you want to know who's playing first base, who's playing third base, who's in center field, who's pitching, who's in the bullpen, and when they come in to pitch, and you, you, unless you follow a team, there's just too many people to keep track of. And so Jesus kind of gives a program. So if we kind of look at it here, he goes, okay, I'm going to look at seven different elements in this parable. You guys follow along. And he goes, so the sower is the son of man. That's Jesus' favorite term for himself. In the Gospels, he uses that over 80 times to describe himself. Basically saying, I am the representative of humanity. I am the access point for all humanity to come to God. He calls himself that gateway kind of player 80 times just in, as he gets quoted by the different uh, Gospel writers. So he said, the sower is the son of man. The field is the world, which is interesting because over half the commentaries I read in the last couple weeks were telling me that the field was the church, okay? And that the church has a mixed audience. And, and that's like, you're gonna see that time and time and time again uh, through the places where there are places where there are wolves in sheep's clothing that are trying to take the sheep. I mean, there are places where that gets described as God's people with a mixture in them. But Jesus is specifically saying, read my lips, this is not the church. I'm talking about the world. And what's happened is that often the people who are members of a church like us, okay, have a tendency to go, okay, let's huddle in here where it feels safe and we'll call this God's place and out there isn't his. But the Bible, the, the, the story the Bible tells is that there is a world that God created and he never gave it away. It's his. And he's doing a work in the world. And the work that he's doing in the world is planting good seed in the world. That's us being planted in the world. So it isn't like we're just good seed when we come in here on Sunday and get our good seed points. It's like uh, out there when uh, you work at your job and you live well and get caught living well on your street and you do well in a classroom or you do well responding to somebody. Um, you know, like when my grandkids were here and I'm watching them go back and forth and back and forth, the thing that I'm most amazed is, is how much food my four-year-old grandson can stick on his self. You know, it's just covered. Like, I mean, when he can clean his plate, but I don't think he ate any of it, you know? It is just wearable. And as he's displaying his food, then he goes, oh, and he wipes it on the walls all throughout the house, you know? And so, like, now that he's left, I have a memory of him, okay? Uh, it'd be very easy for me to say, I can fix that. Don't come to my house again. Craziness. 
And that's what the people of God over centuries have concluded, is that if you're gonna mess up this world, then the best thing for you is get off the planet. And Jesus is saying, that's not your job. Stay in your lane. Your lane is wheat, not finding problems with the weeds, okay? It isn't picking out the weeds. It isn't even identifying the weeds. It's being good wheat. Just be wheat. Can you just go be some wheat? That's all you gotta be. And, and that's, that's the story. That's the picture. But they're not really dialing into that. They're going, okay, great. But what about the weeds? And that's, that's their whole focus, you know? I mean, even Peter, at the end of John, when Jesus is saying, hey, I've restored you, he goes, okay, great, great, great. But what about John? I mean, it's just like, I want you to be wheat, okay, guys? Can you just do that? And so as he kind of focuses in on that and he starts telling them a little bit about what's going on, we get this idea, first of all, God is about a work. And he's about a work that he envisions a harvest to it. In fact, such a great harvest that when they say, hey, do you want us to pick them out? We can tear up those weeds and just get them out. He goes, no, I don't want you to. Because the, the harvest is more valuable than a pure field. I'm not interested in a pure field. I'm interested in a good harvest and the wheat will actually mature in the field called the world. Believe it or not, the people that you think are getting on your nerves are actually cultivating the very character to make you like Christ. So rather than kind of resenting them, thank them because they are agents uh, of God in your transformation, okay? And that's what you're supposed to be to them, is that you're the wheat, and they're kind of looking around going, I see a lot of weeds, and the weeds look like wheat, and so I'm taking them. Because what Satan is doing is he's not planting an obvious alternative. Pretty easy to do. He's planting a subtle counterfeit, a weed that looks just like the wheat, that you can't tell one from the other until they've matured. While they're growing, no one knows which one's which. That's, that's the uh, subtlety of, the, uh, of the, the picture that he's painting. Let me just walk through a couple of things as I was thinking about it that I think are wheat, that there's a counterfeit weed that kind of gets planted at the same time. So let's just take love as an example. There aren't too many people that are anti-love. You know, if you find somebody that says, hey, are you for love or against it? And they go, I'm against it. You know, that's, a, that's probably not a great person to hang around with too much, you know. <laughs> it sounds dangerous to me. Um, but when you talk and you find, say, yeah, I'm all for love. Here's what the kingdom of God says. Be loving. Jesus said it this way. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, okay? Just a subtle change, and it grows up like weeds, is be loved. Don't die alone. Don't live alone. Don't be lonely. Try and accumulate a network of loving relationships, okay? It doesn't sound bad. There's probably nothing evil about having loving relationships, but the minute you start collecting relationships rather than being an agent of love, you have started to go weed-worthy on your pursuit rather than wheat. We are supposed to be people who are loving, not simply people who are trying to collect as much love as we can get. 
Just a subtle difference, but both with good things going on. Security might be another example where we get our identity in Jesus, we get this idea that we're loved no matter what, we've sung about the idea that you'll never let me down. Uh, Jesus is saying, you can count on me. But I also believe that he's created us in a way that we can get security from the relationships that we're building. I mean, if you look at the average person, the bulk of their anxiety comes from fear of what somebody else is thinking of them. And when we can come to a place that we actually have some people in our lives that we are loving, there's a sense of security that we experience that we don't when the weed says become independent, independently wealthy, able to not be hurt or vulnerable by anybody. The more you can become self-contained, the stronger you are is a weed that keeps the wheat of having a secure network of friends that you've loved and people that you're loving as part of why you're no longer fearing them. Because those two are incompatible, love and fear together. But let's just kind of go on a little bit and look at wisdom, for example. Wisdom from a Bible's perspective is live like Jesus lived. That he was the wisest man on earth. I had a kid in my high school group one time that uh, had a lot of acting out problems. And so um, part of him not being uh, incarcerated was he had to go through some counseling. So he went through this counseling thing and he came in and talked to me a little bit about it and the counselor had signed the release form so we could talk back and forth. And I said, so what's the biggest takeaway you've had from counseling so far? And he goes, well, the weirdest thing was that I thought I was insane. And she told me I was. She goes, but she told me everybody was and that there's only been one sane person on the planet and that was with Jesus. And the closer we get to him, the closer we are to sanity. Okay, if we can just look at the idea, that's what he's saying is I just want you to be weak. I don't need you to figure out if you're more sane or less sane than someone else. I don't need you to figure out how good or bad they are. I just need you to be a loving person who follows me. We'll start with a year, but it'd be great if it were for a life. Just follow me. And so this person is following Jesus and that looks like wisdom. And someone else says, no, here's what wisdom looks like. Do what works for you. And if it works for you to be a Christian, be a Christian. If it doesn't work for you to be a Christian, then don't be one. Do what works for you. I just want you to be happy. And so if that's the wisdom that, that we're willing to own, the, the, the problem with that is that it didn't work out real good for Jesus. You know, I mean, I doubt if any of you who are parents go, what I'd really like for my boy, I'd like him to grow up and be executed. Didn't go well for Jesus. And we think that somehow if we follow him, we'll have a different end game. We're following a guy who got executed and was homeless, hoping that we'll have a full life in a house. And, and those things just, you know, don't work as far as using him as a means to get something else, you know? And so, so wisdom isn't do what works for you because there are gonna be times in your life when following Jesus doesn't work. It's costly. It's hurtful to you. And, and it wouldn't feel wise unless there were a bigger 
context than just right now. So those are some. I mean, the last one I would suggest would be family. Um, I think that family is supposed to be something that speaks into your life, your whole life. So if you have come from a hurtful family, I'm not just saying go back there without any filters or any protections. Jesus had filters on how he interacted with his own family, but it was a redemptive relationship he had with his family. Two of his brothers became leaders in the church. Um, when you start looking at the idea of Jesus and how did he live his life uh, around his family and how would we live with our family, I guess what, what I'd like to say is that some of you have young children and you think that they're pretty controllable. But there'll come a time when they're no longer controllable. And if control has been the only negotiation tactic, then out of control becomes the situation. But if somehow relationship was, was being laid here, when control is no longer able to be the exercise, relationship stays here. And even after they move out, relationship can stay here. And I can have sons and daughters that speak into my life and grandchildren that bless my life and I can speak into those generations as well. That's supposed to be a picture of what family looks like. But the more I talk to people, it almost feels like the picture that we have uh, right now of family is that it's more like a personal Petri dish. And, and all the germs of family were cultivated in there. And, and we've got some germs that are good DNA that we'd like to keep, whether that happens to be fun or whether it happens to be uh, a hopefulness or whatever it is that you kind of walked away from your family as assets, you want to keep them. And it seems like we spend the rest of our life trying to get rid of Oh no, look at, shame grew up in my Petri dish. I have to get rid of shame. And so I either go into counseling or find some people or find a support group that will help me get that out of my Petri dish. And I've spent my, my whole life trying to figure out how do I cultivate and that's what family starts to be. The things that have made me who I am, good and bad, rather than relationships. It's just a very subtle shift from wheat to weed, Okay. Now, the interesting thing is, do we want to pull out those weeds? No. The people that are thinking different than you, times where you've thought different, can you think about, I mean, I can think about my life, and there would have been several times where a more mature Christian than me would have been okay in ripping me out <laughs> because I looked way more like weed than I did like wheat. And, and I'm grateful to God that that's not his plan, that the minute you have any weed-like tendencies, you're gone. He's more gracious than that to even say, let's just keep the weeds in the field. So God's at work in the world, and Satan's at work in this world, and in this mixed world is where Jesus says we actually mature, the weeds will, will come to a place of maturity, and then here's where he kind of goes snarky on his disciples. Because he says to his disciples, um, I know what you're looking for. You're saying, when's the end of the age? And when do those people that are weeds get smashed? This is gonna be awesome. And he goes, okay, so the harvest is the end of the age. He's saying to them, quit thinking the end of the age is judgment. Can you start thinking the end of the age is harvest? And the end of the age is harvest and the things that are keeping the harvest from happening, not your lane. I'll send angels to deal with that. 
okay? So don't even worry about judgment and people and their end zone. That's not your lane to run in. Your lane to run in is wheat. And when you are people who follow Christ, that's how Jesus has strategically planted his field around the world so that people hear and see him. It's through his followers living like him, being wheat in his field, rather than the idea of somehow being uh, inspectors of weeds and trying to figure out, you know, uh, this doesn't belong or don't follow that or, or this person needs to be radically corrected. And there'll come a time when the harvest comes that he says, those children of the kingdom will shine like the sun because what gets removed is the, the film, the dulling agents. Everything that causes evil is the way the NIV um, uh, describes it. And we shine like the sun. The interesting thing is that um, most of us appreciate an evening where there's this vivid moonlight. But the moon doesn't do light. It just reflects light. And that's what we're going to shine like the sun. It isn't even just an S-U-N, although that's the metaphor. It's the S-O-N that we get to reflect, that that's what's going to be seen is that we have been agents of reflecting that kingdom while we've been in the field. And that has a residue for the rest of life. So how do we respond? One way would be to say, there are weeds out there. Let's be careful. Let's huddle up. And there are churches that are huddles and people every once in a while feel terrible that they had to go back out into the world and they want to come back as fast as they can. And Jesus is saying, the field is not the church. Quit running to the church every chance you can and be the people of the kingdom in the world. Okay? So, so it isn't to somehow retreat and isolate the second thing would be to basically be a judge. And he's saying, I'm not asking you to be the judge either. So the third thing would be to engage. How do we engage as wheat in our world? And that looks like following Jesus. And it looks like a wisdom that lives like him whether it works or not. And it looks like somebody who loves rather than just collects love. It looks like somebody who's able to say, I can trust Jesus with the management of the world. I don't need to get my despair from there. I need to get my hope from the harvest. And that he intends to use us that way. You know, it's funny because I, I read one commentary that this week that said uh, this can't even be realistic because no one would take the time to sow weeds throughout a field. I'm kind of like, wow, do you not have more time? I mean, time, you know, you've got too much time when you're trying to figure out if it's a realistic parable, okay? And so, um, but I was thinking about this week going, okay, maybe somebody doesn't sit down in the middle of the night and sow a bunch of weeds in a field, but I do know um, that there are coders who spend most of their waking days making things that are very useful for us whether they happen to be software so that hospitals can call, uh, talk to each other. And when, uh, if I had an accident uh, on a vacation in St. Paul, Minnesota, they can call up on a software and find out everything that's been a record here in Portland, okay? That's a great thing that somebody's done. And at the same time, 
There are coders who are trying to figure out how to put a virus on my computer. I'm not a dangerous person. I, you know, to, to take my computer down does nothing. <laughs> the world is not safer and the world is not more dangerous. It's just my computer doesn't work. But there are people who will spend their day trying to figure out how can I destroy his computer, okay? That's all Jesus is saying here is that there are hackers. Hackers who have figured out a way to get into my software <laughs> and rather than you being the person that's trying to figure out where that is that hacker and how can we imprison him, can you just run your program? <laughs> can you just go about what I'm asking you to do rather than be so angry at those weeds that those weeds will never hear about the kingdom of God from you? <laughs> that's not wheat. That's weed-like tendencies. So Jesus invites us today to be people who would look at a world that's got a mixed agenda and not despair. But to look at a world out there and say, you know what? This world has a hope. And their, their hope is our hope. And when we live like we have that hope, it's the best message they're gonna hear. And he invites us to that. And some of you this week, just like me, have spent time trying to figure out weeds. And Jesus says, you want to come to the table here and get rid of that habit? You want to come to the table and not be weed-like? Come to the table and I will dub you wheat. Come to the table and let's participate in the harvest together. Come to the table and experience grace that you might dispense grace. So today, uh, I hope that what you've heard, because there are a lot of, lot of things that can come out of this passage, whether it talks about judgment or whether it talks about political activity or resisting an empire. What I hope you hear out of this is that Jesus is saying the world's best shot is the people of God being the people of God, not telling the people who aren't that they're not. So he invites us to know him and live with him in reality. So um, I'm gonna just kind of pray for you that that would be your experience and that this table could be a connection point between you and the Lord of the harvest. Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you that you were committed enough to us, that you spoke to each one of us before we were wheat. And there are hundreds of thousands of people across this planet that you intend to speak to through your wheat. So God, I pray for each person here today that they wouldn't be afraid of this table and they wouldn't be afraid of you and they wouldn't be afraid of failure, but they might know with confidence that they are loved, that we might be loving people. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website, at www.amagodaycommunity.com Thanks a lot for listening.